weeks, you know that we're in the middle of a series by someone else. Uh, it's a guy named Andy Stanley. You may have heard of him. If not, you should. Uh, he's an excellent, excellent teacher. Uh, a while back, we were listening to, um, to or I was listening to one of his series called Christian, and it was um, just talking about the, um, the idea of, of uh, what Christian means in, uh, in North America. And the thing is, it means so much to so many different people. Uh, if we try and define the word Christian, we find it kind of difficult to come to a consensus of what that means. Because you can pretty much believe anything you want and still call yourself Christian. You can adopt any lifestyle you want and still call yourself Christian. We have Christians on opposite ends of the political spectrum. We've got Christians on opposite ends of wars. Uh, and it seems like a lot of times when we look at, at the Bible, we realize that you know, the word Christian, it's only in there three times, and it never tells us what one is. It just mentions it. And what we've realized is that Jesus didn't ever call anyone to become a Christian. He called us to become something different. You remember what that word is? Disciple. To be a follower of him. And that's clearly defined. And our hope is that through this series, we wouldn't just be able to sit here um, after it's all over and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But we would know what that means. It's not that we want to try and change and, and um, say, hey, we're not going to use that word anymore. But to redefine it so that we know that as we're sitting here, it's not that we would just be um, Christian in name, but that, that would be Christian in, uh, would mean something else. Jesus said to, his, um, to the early disciples, you know, the guys who were around there just before he left, he had said, that, he said something to, to them. He said, there's going to be one thing where the world is going to realize that you are my disciples. You know what that was? Love. He said, how you love is going to tell the world. Not what t-shirts you wear, not your bumper stickers, not the fact that you're sitting in Kingsway's parking lot on a Sunday morning. That's not going to tell the world you're a Christian. How you love is going to show. And so he said this in John chapter 13. I just want to throw it up there just so you have a, a, a good um, refresher. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. He says, love each other. Love each other. Who's each other? Look around. That's each other. Love each other. Um, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. See, we, we all know something about love. We've, we've kind of all experienced love in some way. We kind of have our ideas of what love is. Maybe you've been in love before. Maybe you're not anymore. Uh, and you kind of, you have your, your thoughts about it. But what Jesus was saying um, to them is that he says, I don't want you to just love one another. I want you to love one another the way that I loved you guys. I want you to love each other the way that I love. And we think, man, that's difficult when we start thinking about um, Jesus' love. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a couple minutes. I wanted to tie this week to, um, to last week a little bit. Um, at last week we talked about um, um, how we learned that our job as followers of Jesus Christ, our job is not to be the judge of the whole world. This shouldn't look like you. Right, where you're like looking down your nose at everybody, at everybody else. And we've been famous for that, not as this church. You guys are, seem to be pretty good at that. But as a church as a whole, that we judge those who are outside of the, of the family of faith. You know, and um, we learned last week that, that from Paul and from Jesus that we're not to judge those who, um, or hold accountable anyone who's never signed up for being a follower of Jesus. If they're not a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter who they sleep with. If they're not a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter what their sexuality is. If they're not a follower of Jesus, it's not our job to try and, you know, um, come down and, and lay a heavy on them or hold them accountable to, to a God's standard. They never signed up for that. And he says, but he said there was one thing we were supposed to do. He says, stop judging and holding the world accountable and start doing a better job of, of judging and holding accountable the people inside the church. Those who've said they wanted to be followers of Jesus Christ, that's something that he said, you know, we need to hold those people accountable. And we're like, oh, that's difficult. 
And last week, you know, as we were talking about it, some of you were like, oh, I hate this. And maybe you didn't show up and you're just listening online to see if it's going to be better this week. Um, you're, like, you're like, I don't want to be judged. And some of you are real twisted up here. You're like, yes, I finally get to judge. I knew I got to judge somebody. I just can't wait to judge the people in the church because I know all their dirty, dark sins. You know, we, uh, we, we play soccer together. I know the words they use on the field, and I'm going to tell them, right? There's, there's, there's some of that too. And, and, but most of, us, most of us, we end up in this place of where we don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know where or, or we're supposed to um, start holding one another accountable. When we see a brother who's living living in a lifestyle of sin, but says they're a follower of Jesus, we're just like, when, how, what words do I say? And I believe that the understanding of that, of when, the how, and the why to do any of that kind of stuff, comes out of an understanding of how Jesus loved. Not just that he loved, but how he loved. Because if you look through the Gospels, you see how Jesus loved, and it creates this, it creates this tension. See, there's a tension when you start reading about Jesus' love, and for most of us, we don't like tension. We try and resolve that. You know, maybe you were raised in a church that, you know, your, your, um, your church uh, history or, you know, your experience with church was kind of all on one side. You know, it was rigid and rules and, I mean, it was a, there was a lot of truth. There was a lot of legalism. You got to live this way. You know, sin is bad. Stay away from sin. And, and you know, if you've sinned, we're going to bring you up in front of the church. And, and maybe you're kind of from that side and you're like, you know what, I believe what they're teaching, but it seems like something's missing. Maybe your experience is the other side, where it's like, it was all grace. You know, Jesus loves everyone. It doesn't matter if you sin, because Jesus has forgiven it. So it's all good. Just do whatever you want and know that it's grace, grace, grace. And we never, never talked about sin at all. And maybe like you're there, and you're like, yeah, I believe that's what it's about. But it just seems like something's missing. And maybe that feeling of something missing is because there is something missing in both of those sides. When you look at how Jesus loved, there was, um, there was this tension of, of being somewhere between the two. When we look at how Jesus loved, we, we come up with some things that we realize, man, sometimes when Jesus, when we read how Jesus loved, it was messy. I was like, ah, oh, really, Jesus, you would do it that way? I, I, I don't think I would have done that. Um, maybe you look at it and you see it's kind of inconsistent. Like he's one way with one group of people, and then you think he's going to be the same way with another group, and, and he's not. And then sometimes, you know, it's unfair. And you're like, Jesus... Seriously, like, I know you're God, so it must be right, but it doesn't make any sense to me. We'll look at one of those stories today. And for a lot of times, it's just simply confusing. We're like, Jesus, how you love, it's just a bit confusing. And so at times, what we try to do is resolve the tension between the two. We want to be one or the other, and sometimes we'll flop from one to the other. But if we try and resolve the tension between the two, we lose something incredibly important. So as when Jesus said, I want you to love the way that I love, he's saying, hey, I want you to love in the same, in the same way, the same how. Uh, and the, the idea of the tension between the two is similar to a tightrope walker. Uh, if many of you uh, watch Nick Willenda as he walked across the falls, uh, here he's, he is again walking across some canyon, and maybe it's a grand one, I don't know, but he's uh, walking across a, a canyon here. And as I watched a show on, on, uh, on Nick and his, um, his tightrope walking skills, and he spends weeks... Um, looking at the place and, and um, investigating where he's going to do his walks across. And then he also spends about a week with a whole team of people to make sure that they find two structures that are incredibly secure. And then they make sure that, that they have the line solidly attached to both of those. And they try and figure out how that's going to work so that line stays straight so he can walk across it. The same idea is true when it comes to this thought 
that we need to have a, a solid truth in both sides, which creates this tension between. But see, if, same thing for Nick. If the tension's gone, it doesn't work. If we lose the tension, we lose something. If we give up on grace or we give up on truth, we lose something so important. And it's, it's what we realize is that this is how Jesus loved. You know, if we think about it, you know, um, as a church, it's something we try to do. We try to maintain that tension of loving um, in, in this way but, uh, of grace and truth. We don't, we don't always get it right. There's sometimes where it's just like, ah, oh, it, it's difficult. But there's this idea of this is where we want to be. So John, John who was the uh, apostle, he was the, one of the original followers of Jesus Christ. John's the one who got to live um, uh, the longest of all of those people. Everyone else kind of got, you know, Matthew, they think, got burned at the stake pretty early. Um, P- P- uh, Peter, they figured that, you know, he was crucified upside down, that Nero got him, that um, uh, Paul, that he was probably beheaded. Uh, and most of these guys didn't make it, you know, a super long time. But about 40 to 45 years after Jesus left the planet, John is still hanging around. And they said, you know, all of a sudden realizing, uh, you know, Jesus said he's coming back, you know. And we thought maybe like Thursday or like Friday, but he didn't come back yet. You know, now it's 40 years later, and they're like, John, you're like an old man, and Jesus, he's not back yet. You know, and you might die one of these days. Maybe you should write down all the stuff you're telling us. So John sits down, and he begins to write, and he wrote the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's that John, and he also wrote three short letters um, as well, and then he, he also wrote the book of Revelation. But John, as he begins to sit down and write his version of the good news story, the gospel, he does it completely different than the other guys. You know, Matthew writes about how Jesus was born on the planet, um, and he talks a little bit about some of the genealogy. Um, Mark kind of starts at the, the beginning of his ministry, but John goes all the way back to before time began, and he says, he begins to describe Jesus and who he was in this word picture of Jesus was this word. He was like the voice of God that created everything, and once he created it, he, uh, he came to it. It says the, the, um, the word became flesh, or the voice got a body uh, and, and came and lived among us. And so uh, he kind of paints this, paints this picture of, of, let's say, you know, one of us or a kid, you know, creating something. You know, creating something out of Lego maybe. Taking a whole bunch of things, putting this whole creation together of Lego, and then becoming a Lego and walking in and around. And the other Legos, they looked at him like, hey, we, we don't recognize him and chucked him off the table. It's this, it's this idea of, of the same thing with, with Jesus, that he came to the ones that were looking for him, came to the ones he created, and yet they didn't recognize him, and they kicked him out. And he said there's this, this, this picture of, of who Jesus was. He carries it on with this thought. In John chapter 1, verse 14, he says in this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, it's this idea of kind of camped out with, hung out with, did life with. The word became flesh, Jesus himself, he says he came and lived among us. And when he says us, he's not talking about us right here. He's talking about John and, and, and Matthew and Mark or, and whoever the other, you know, all the other 12 disciples and the people who are around Jesus. He says he lived with us. He did life with us. And it says we beheld his glory. We saw him. He says, I didn't learn this stuff in Sunday school. What I'm about to write to you, it wasn't someone else didn't tell me this. I saw it. I was there. I saw what this, what this um, looked like. And it says we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And right there's the tension. When John describes Jesus, when he says, hey, as I think about what Jesus looked like, how he lived, he says he was full of grace and truth. And that's where the tension comes for us. That's where the tension, if you think about it, you think about grace, for instance. 
And you think, you know, when you think about grace and you think about truth, we, we, we kind of like grace. With grace, it says, you know, hey, you're, you're fine. And, and then truth comes in and says, ah, no, you're broken. Grace says, you're forgiven. And truth says, ah, yeah, but you kind of got to work on it. And grace says, no matter what, I love you. And truth says, yeah, but you, you got to keep growing. As he talks about this, you know, most of us, if, we, if we've kind of experienced this, maybe in your parents. You know, maybe you had, you had one of your parents, they were gracie. You know, they were just, they were just great. And then you had Mr. Ungrace, you know, in your, in your family. You're like, you know, and which one of those parents did you love better? You're like, not that you love them better, but you sure liked when discipline came time. It was like, yes, I love, I love Gracie a whole lot better. I remember in my family which one was which. Um, they were here last night, and they just, one of them slunk down in her chair as we started talking about this. And, and you know, I realized even in our family, I think about it like Beth, her middle name is Grace. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. My name in Latin means the hammer. So you got to kind of wonder which one in our family is which. But you know what? If you grew up in a great home, you probably had a good dose of both. You know, you had a good dose of grace. You had a good dose of truth. Maybe your parents argued, you know, behind closed doors about how they were going to raise you. Like, come on, you got to let up on him a little bit. If I let up on him, he's going to turn him into be a softie. That kid's got to get a job. You're like, oh, come on. But just, he's my baby, right? So there's this, this thing. And, and you realize you needed, you needed both. And some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I remember. But John, as he begins to talk about it, he realizes too that we, we, love, we love grace. We do. We, you know the songs we sang about this morning and, you know, famous songs? This is amazing grace. We have no songs written about this. Have you noticed? Oh, I just love the truth. I love when it comes in and convicts me. This is amazing conviction. You know, this is amazing words of truth that make me feel rotten. I'm like, oh, we, we just don't sing those. But... John said something. He said, as I watched Jesus, as I watched him do life, as I watched his relationships, he was both. He was not just one or the other, and he didn't just operate in one or the other. He says he was absolutely full of grace and truth, filled right to the brim of both. So when Jesus did life, so often we want to be one or the other. And we want to push Jesus to one or the other. We want his word to be just one or the other. But he says it's not how he operated. He fully operated always under being full of grace and truth. You know, and John says this is how he saw Jesus. And like I said, we like to try and push it to one side or the other. We want to try and make the Bible say what we want it to say. You know when that happens? When we're dealing with somebody else, we just love truth. Right? We want, we, we want it to be truth when we're talking to someone else. And then when it's us that's on the other end of the spectrum, we're like, grace, brother, bro, grace, brother, you know? Like, I just love the stories about grace. And we want, to try and we want to try and actually sometimes change what it says so we can avoid the tension. Um, if any of you have an iPhone, there's this thing I learned about this, this week, uh, kind of unfortunately, is that there's this autocorrect feature on the iPhone that will, as you type in things, it will correct it to say what it thinks you want it to say. Uh, and for me, that, um, there's, this, there, there's one, yes. So I had this, this, uh, this uh, last week, um, my bud Colin, he sent me this text, say, hey bud, anything happened this Sunday? And I'm like, hmm, church XO. What I had actually typed was a smiley face, but it showed up as XO. And uh, he's like, hmm, okay, see you there. I got, I, I got a weekend kind of free and like kind of sweet XO. Then I'm looking at my phone, I'm like, 
Why am I sending XO to Colin? Right? Like this, I'm like, this is not, so I put in a smiley face and it says XO again. And I'm like, stupid autocorrect. And so then I figure out a way to make the smiley face. And then I thought, this is strange. So I try and type it in again. Sure enough, it shows up XO. And I'm just like, this is, this is nuts. Then all of a sudden Colin texts me back and you can't see it on there. He's like, are you hitting on me? And I'm like, no, 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 we're friends. We're just friends, right? It's not that kind of thing. I'm like, what is going on? And as I begin to type in the word what, it turns into WTF. And I'm like, okay, something, I just got the new update. I just, I know, I just got the new update on my phone. I'm like, that's not what I meant to say. And I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm like, man, I'm like, I type, you know, type in the word yup. And all of a sudden, like, which I text you a lot. And and all of a sudden it's like, yes, sirree, Bob. I'm like, oh man. So I'm Googling, and I cannot figure out what's going on because I'm just like, this is crazy. Uh, something's wrong with Apple. I'm going to send in a complaint. And then I thought, like, you know, it's like, oh, whatever. So I'm making sure that I'm like really making sure that I'm careful about how I text any of you because I don't know what's going to come out of my phone. And then all of a sudden, I, later on, um, I'm downstairs, and Beth's upstairs. And I thought, well, um, I could walk up there to ask her, but I could also text her. So I text, and I, I punch in the words B-E-T-H with the letters, and all of a sudden, it changes to my lover. And I'm like, no! She... She somehow found a way to go into my phone and change all my shortcut words. So if I type this, it's going to send this instead. And so if I've sent XO to all of you, I do love you, just not in that way. So, but, but it's funny on a phone. But it's not funny when it's in here. It's not funny when we kind of hear the word and we want to try and change it to make it say what we want to say. You know, that I want to lay down the law on somebody. I want to lay down the truth on somebody. And then another time, it's like, ugh, there's no truth allowed in my life. I just want grace. John chapter 1, verse 16, he says, And of his fullness we have all received, um, and grace for grace. We've all, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know it. You know that, man, we have received an incredible amount of grace overflowing in our lives. That he's poured that out in us, that we didn't deserve it at all, but we have that. The law was given through Moses. The law was given through him. Um, But he says this, but grace and truth, and he uses the word came. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That word, John probably had to sit there and think, how am I going to communicate this? Because the word he uses is actually, it means the word born or begotten. It wasn't like, hey, Jesus gave us grace and truth. He's like, he was born grace and truth. This idea of all grace, all truth, all together, uh, and realizing that we've, when we're dealing with Jesus and as being his body and loving like he loved, we see that as he did life, he did life full of grace and truth. When he loved, it was full of grace and truth. So when he talks to us about how we're supposed to love, it's got to involve some grace and truth. So if you look at If you look at some of the things, as you go back and start reading through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see the stories, you begin to see it everywhere, that this is the way Jesus lived. You think about the Samaritan woman. She was sitting at a well, and uh, Jesus came up, and he started talking to her. He said, hey, can can I have a drink? That was incredible grace, just to be actually to ask her. Why? Because in that culture, men, Jewish men, did not talk to Samaritans, period. They also never talked to, you know, any other women. It was this, this, the fact that she was Samaritan and a woman, he says it was two strikes against her, and yet Jesus showed grace by talking to her. She'd be the one, you know, we think, ah, you know, we're not going to talk to that person. Jesus showed incredible grace. As he begins talking to her, he says, hey, can you get me a drink? And um, she, uh, she says, um, why are you talking to me? You know, and he's like, hey, uh, you know what, we can. And, and uh, then she, uh, he says to her, hey, you know what, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. And she's like, well, you don't even have a bucket. You don't even have a rope. Like, how are you going to give me anything? And he says, you know what, uh, he says, hey, you know, um, uh, he starts talking about her husband. And she's like, um, 
well, I don't have a husband. He's like, you know what? You're right. He says, you've had, you've had five husbands. And, uh, you know, none of that's worked out. And the guy you're living with right now, that's not even your husband. And she's all of a sudden like, who are you? And we'd be like, Jesus, hold on a second. You know, if you went to seminary, you don't talk about that kind of stuff with people in the first conversation. Hey, my name's Jesus. What's your sexual history? You know, we, we, we'd be like, nobody does that. And we're thinking, as we, if we're sitting there watching, we're like, this is going to go bad. This is not going to be, a, this is not going to end good. And yet, we know as we read the story that it ends that she says, who are you? And he says, you know what, if you, he says, he reveals to her something he didn't tell anybody else. He's like, I'm the Messiah. And she begins talking to him, and she realizes, yes, he is. I believe that. She runs off to town to tell all the people who probably know her story. She, she says, this guy came. He told me everything, uh, everything that I've ever done. He's the Messiah. And that whole town comes out, whether it was just to kind of see if she was, you know, off a rocker or whatever, but it says they believed. That whole town came to know Jesus Christ. But we look at it and go, oh, we wouldn't have done that. We would have just said, you know, just kind of grace, grace, or we wouldn't have talked to her at all. Truth, truth says I don't talk to those people. But Jesus was all grace and all truth. We think about Matthew. You know, we talked about him before. He's a disciple that, that was a tax collector. You know, they hated tax collectors back then. We hate them now, right? There's like uh, the, the, that thought of back then, these were the traitors. These were like the Jewish traitors that nobody wanted to hang out with. And what does Jesus do? Jesus calls and says, Matthew, why don't you come follow me? And you can think the other disciples are all looking at it going, Jesus, you know what? We don't, do you know who he is? We, we don't want a tax collector. We don't want a traitor with us. What happens? What happens if people see that we got a tax collector hanging out with us? They're going to think you're okay with tax collectors. Jesus, your reputation here in Israel is going to go down. And he says to them, guess what, fellas? You know what? You think our reputation is going to be bad because we got one tax collector hanging out with us? Guess where we're going for dinner tonight? His house, with all of his buddies, with all of his friends. And like, Jesus, this is like, we talked about it last week. You know, this idea that the tax collectors, they, they were worse than sinners. And Jesus was going to hang out with them. And his, his disciples were going to hang out with them. And they're like, this, I, I can't do this. Those people. And yet, you know, we see that Jesus hung out with them. And, and, and they probably said, Jesus, you, you know, our reputation is going to be destroyed. He would have said, I didn't come here to have a reputation. That's not why I came. I didn't come here to be like, I'm hanging out with the 11 best people on the planet. He says, my reputation's not why I'm here. I came here to seek and save that which was lost. I didn't come for those who think that they're okay. I came for those who know that they're sinners and need a Savior. He says, it wasn't about reputations. We think about that. And we think about how we love. Do we love that that same way? Do we love with the idea of, hey, we want our church to kind of be, be perfect or clean or whatever? Or do we say, you know what? We're going to love people we're going to love people the way Jesus loved. You think about the criminal on the cross. You know, there's Jesus. He's dying between two thieves, and, and the, you know, the, that's kind of what we heard as kids, that they were thieves, but they weren't. They didn't crucify thieves back then. They crucified the worst of the worst, the guys who were no good to be, you know, galley slaves, the guys who were no good to be in the mines. He says, those guys, they get crucified. So they're hanging up there with Jesus, and, and the one guy's mocking Jesus, and the other guy looks over and says, you know, gee, he says to him, hey, stop talking about it. We're getting what we deserve. And, you know, sometimes as Christians, we'd be like, uh, we'd be like, hey, you know what, Jesus, you should have said, oh, no, um, you know, you got a good heart, buddy. You know what, you had a rough life. Your dad left when you were a child, you know. It's all, but he doesn't say anything. The guy says, you know, we're getting what we deserve. And Jesus is like, no comment. You know, that it's like, yep, you probably are. But then the man begs for mercy. And Jesus says to him, yeah, today, worst of the worst, best of the best, today, we're going to be in paradise together. And you got to imagine the people standing around the cross are thinking, okay, this is just not fair. 
this just doesn't make any sense. If he's a murderer, you think that the people, you know, the families of the people that he murdered are there thinking, he deserves justice. He deserves to die. And now you're going to give him eternal life right here at the end? The disciples and, you know, maybe if we were standing there, we're looking up going, wait a second, Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, this rich young ruler comes up to us and says, hey, what can I do to be saved? Jesus, he had money and he had influence and power. He could have helped our cause. And you told him that he had to give up everything and follow you. And he walked away. Jesus, come to think of it, you asked us to give up everything and follow you. And this guy, he can't even do that. What's he going to do? Yes, Jesus, I'll follow you for the next 20 minutes of my life. Because that's all I got. I can't even do anything for you. And you're going to let him in? We're like, that's just not fair. And yet, that's how Jesus loved. Probably one of the most famous ones is in John chapter 8. John writes about this scenario that happens. As I was reading it yesterday, I saw something I had never seen before. That it says that Jesus was teaching. He had gone back to the mountain to sleep, and then he came back early in the morning to the temple. So he's, he's there early in the morning. It says the, the Pharisees, they come before him, and the, who do they bring? They bring this woman who they caught in the act of adultery. And I'm thinking, adultery doesn't usually happen first thing in the morning, right? It's usually like a night thing, I think. So I'm not an expert on it, but I would guess that that's when it happens. These guys, they probably had found her that night, kept her all night, um, waiting for Jesus to show up. And then they bring her to Jesus, and it says the words, the wording is they make her stand in her shame before him. And as they make her stand there, they're like, Jesus, the law given by Moses came and says that we're to stone her for this. What do you have to say about that? It says they were looking to trap him. They have a good plan. You know, let's, let's get him. Let's trap him. And Jesus doesn't say anything. You know, what he could have said is, hey, the Roman law says you're not allowed to execute anyone. So, you know, you don't even have anything here, but he doesn't. He plays, with, plays right along with them. They said, you know, the law of Moses says, so he says, okay, let's do the law of Moses. Let's, let's talk about that. And he says, so, he says, okay. He's writing in the sand, and they said, hey, Jesus, what are you going to do? He's like, okay. He says, the law of Moses says you, you should stone her. So he says, so whoever is without sin... You throw the first stone. Just try not to hit me. And as he begins, he goes back down and begins writing. We don't know what he's writing, but maybe he writes, have never looked lustfully at a woman before. Never lied. Never stole. You know, never, never uh, used a, a, a word in vain. Never used a, a cuss word. Never had an evil thought about anyone else. And as he's writing, something happens to these men that they all realize that every single one of them, from the oldest to the youngest, drops their rocks and says, I can't throw a stone. And see, something interesting happens. After they all leave, Jesus stands up and he, he, he comes up to this woman who was caught in the act of adultery that every person would say, hey, this is, this is sin. He says to her, where, where have your accusers gone? And they all look and they, she says, you know, they're gone. He says, does no one condemn you? And she says, no. And he says this, he says, neither do I condemn you, but now go leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you for this, but go leave your life of sin. I'm like, okay, Jesus, well, what is it? Is it, I don't condemn you, or go leave your life of sin? Yes. I don't condemn you, go leave your life of sin. You know, when, when, you, when you think about it, you're like, Jesus, what did you mean by this idea of love like we loved? If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, then we just need to watch what Jesus did. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, we watch what Jesus, sits, um, what Jesus did. And what did he do? He called sin, sin. He never skirted that issue. He called sin, sin. 
But then it says he gave his life for it to pay for it. And then he says, I don't condemn you. And to us today, it's the same thing. He says, you know, the sin is sin. I've paid for it on the cross, so I don't condemn you. But now go leave your life of sin. Go leave it. And there's this, this tension there uh, that sometimes, you know, we feel like, ah. Oh. You know, he says things like, hey, if you feel like you can't leave this life of sin, I still love you. If, you, if you've been sinned against, you know, and you feel like, man, I, someone's done something to me that's just put me into a spiral of downward for a lifetime, he says, I love you. Maybe you feel like, man, I've made so many screwed up decisions in my life that now I'm just paying for it, and I don't see, you know, I can't even see the surface anymore. He says, I love you. None of that has ever changed. And he says, you know what, I don't condemn you. And you have the opportunity to go and leave that life of sin. See, we can't let go of truth, and we can't let go of grace. If we let go of truth, the reason we can never let go of truth and say, hey, we're just not going to talk about that stuff anymore, is that every sin has a gotcha. It's like, hey, this is fun, this is fun, this is fun, wham! Oh, that wasn't fun anymore. Every sin has a gotcha, and we don't want it to get you. The same, the same thought is, um, is with, with grace. We can't let go of grace either because it's the only way that we got out of that, uh, out of that spot. It's the only way that we were rescued is this grace. You know, it's not just the message of Jesus. It was the message of the New Testament as a whole. It wasn't just the message of the, of the early church. We saw it in Galatians. Remember as we did the study of Galatians? What did it say? It's not about your works. It's not about your works. It's not about keeping the law. It's all about grace. The whole book is that. But then you read, there's another book called James. It says, listen, it's not all about your faith. Show me that your faith is genuine by your works, by your works, by your works. Don't do the works, but the works should come out of a genuine relationship with Christ. So I want to close with this thought. Remember the guy from last week. For some saying, hey, how do we, when do we, how do we hold those accountable inside the church? When we realize that Jesus loved, it was with grace and truth all the time. You know, when we think about this, this guy from Galatians, or um, the guy from Corinthians, we see that Paul, he, he kind of had this like really harsh words for him. He wrote things like, remove him from the church and hand him over to Satan. This guy who was sinning, remove him from the church and hand him over to Satan. We're like, that's really tough. And we'd say, Paul, judge not lest ye be judged, right? That's what Jesus said. And some of you wondered, hey, what does that mean? How does these two things work? When Jesus was saying, judge not lest ye be judged, he was saying to them, um, he says, don't have a hypocritical judgment. Don't have a hypocritical standard where you're going to hold people to a standard that you don't want to be held to yourself. The Pharisees, is what he hated about them is they would do that. They would hold other people to a standard that they wouldn't hold themselves. And he says, this is this hypocritical judgment where, you know, the, the idea of, oh, I'm going to tell brother so-and-so because they, that's sin. That's clearly in the Bible. He says, don't hold them to a standard that you wouldn't be want to be held to yourself. When Paul writes this message to them, he's saying, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can hold me to that standard. If you ever saw me in that, I would want to be held to that standard. As followers of Jesus Christ, we'd want to be held to that standard. But as we think about the idea of truth and grace, realize there's a big difference between hurting and harming. There's a huge difference between hurting and harming. I was hanging out with a pastor this week, and one of them, he's reading a, past, a book called How to Be a the Good Pastor's Wife. I don't know why he's reading that book, but uh, in there, she wrote that there was this realization when she realized the difference between hurting and harming. 
she had relationships in her life. She said, hey, sometimes I have to tell them, I can't hang out. We can't hang out. I'm too busy. And that might hurt their feelings. But she said, I don't want to harm them um, and harm other, uh, other relationships in my life. And we know every time you go to the dentist, you know this, the difference between hurt and harm. You know, when they're looking at you with those smiles because they got all the sharp tools that are just going to like hurt like crazy. And, you know, this won't hurt me a bit. And then they go in. That Those guys, we know that, you know what they're doing? It hurts. But it's not to harm us. The end result is for our good. Dr. Henry Cloud said this, there's a huge difference between hurt and harm. We all hurt sometimes in facing hard truths, but it makes us grow. We all hurt sometimes when we have to face hard truths, but it makes us grow. It can be the source of huge growth. That's not harmful. Harm is when you damage someone. Facing reality is usually not a damaging experience, even though it can hurt. When I think about that, Paul didn't have Dr. Henry Cloud around to tell him this. But he had this witness, this, this life of Jesus who lived life full of grace and truth. When we read about Paul writing this letter saying, kick them out of the church, and he says, you know what, hand them over to Satan. He wasn't just laying the hammer down because he could. See, Paul also, Paul also wrote Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. As we went through Ephesians, we learned this. He said, speak the truth in love. Why? Because he said the way they're going to know you guys and know your disciples is how you love one another, how you hold one another accountable in, in love. It may have hurt that man's feelings that day where he shows up to church just like every other Sunday and there's a letter from Paul. And Paul, the, whoever uh, the, the minister is, stands up and begins to read and says, hey, call the brother right in the middle of the letter. Call this brother who's, uh, you know, sleeping with his stepmom to the center of the church and kick him out. And he'd be like, oh, you know, it's going to hurt his pride. It's going to hurt his feelings. But Paul's motive was not to harm him. If you remember back in the day, there was this thing on the radio called The Rest of the Story with Paul Harvey. You know, great things. You'd be like, wow, you know, I never knew that about so-and-so. We have the rest of the story in this situation as well. Sometimes we look at that and go, wow, that was really hard. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8. Last thought, it says this. I'm, Paul writes to them, he says, to the same Corinthian group that he had wrote this letter before. He says, I'm not overstating it. When I say that the man who caused all of the trouble, which was this person, he says, he hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and, the, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it's time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. You see, truth and grace are the same thing. Yes, there was truth, but the truth was the idea. The motivation was for his salvation. The motivation was for his good. So as a, as a church, as we think about it, the church is the body of Jesus Christ. Not this meeting, not King's Way, you. You are the body of Jesus Christ. So if Jesus' message was grace and truth, and if the early church, the disciples, their message was grace and truth, then as the church, as the body of Jesus Christ today, the way we live should be grace and truth. Not just one, not just the other, but the fullness of grace and truth. The church is at its best when it embraces that tension between the two. Definitely at its best that we would manage that tension to his glory. That as we think about it and go through it, that we realize, you know what? Jesus, we want to love like you loved. We want to show the world that we are disciples, that when they see us, that they see grace and truth that point to him. Let's pray. Father, I, I just ask this morning that you do what I can. That Holy Spirit, that you take the words that have been spoken, that you would plant them deep into the hearts of people like seeds. Just in the same way that you're changing my life, that you're leading me in this journey of love for you and for others. 
I ask that you take each person the next step in that journey this week. Lord, our heart is that people would see you, see how amazing you are and see your love. May we shine that brightly this week for you. For those who don't know you this morning, God, I pray that they'd have just an incredible sense of your love. They may hear those same words just pounding in their heart. I love you. I don't condemn you. Go leave this life of sin. God, may they have the courage to make the decision that to follow you that would change their life, the rest of their life for the better. Pray your peace, your hope, your love, your joy to fill every home and every heart as they head out from here to, uh, to be, to be uh, difference makers in this world. In your name we pray.